Morena, how is everybody this morning? Uh, I feel really privileged to be here speaking with you. Now, um, around a year ago, I around this time, I um, shared with you a message uh, entitled, I once was found, but now I'm lost. <laughs> and um, for those of you who weren't here or don't remember it, I was sharing about a situation that I uh, was currently in at the time, where uh, much to my surprise, much to my uh, confusion, I uh, found myself in uh, a season, a wilderness type season, uh, where life as I knew it had kind of flipped on me and it was uncomfortable, it was disorienting, it was painful. Um, And so amidst being in that uncertainty and being in that confusion, I shared a message and the gist of it was um, along the lines of uh, when we're in these seasons there's this great temptation to want to Stop the pain, stop the confusion, just to, to throw ourselves into something new and to, uh, to feel any sense of certainty or a success or to feel like, like I'm, I'm doing okay. And, and, but my suggestion was that how are we learning to be a people who embrace these um, seasons where we are experiencing a, a valley of death? Um, how are we allowing um, these Uh, certain and even beautiful uh, difficult seasons to mould us and to shape us, trusting and understanding that there is new life on the other side of it. And there's something very rich for us to allow these difficult chapters to change us uh, and heal us and restore us and do a new work in us. So, what I want to speak to you about today is a a very... um, this is a vulnerable thing for me to share. I want to talk about uh, a particular aspect of what that looks like. Uh, and now, uh, a year or so down the track, I'm uh, feeling um, somewhat have been uh, coming through that journey of being uh, of, of suffering and being shaped and molded by that process. And what I would love to share with you are some of the things uh, I learned. I want to share with you some of my journey. And my hope is that there is some relevance in this for you. Um, so, so just to give you a little bit of context, um, I uh, had been pastoring a church for around 13 years and then blah, 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 um, I had a tricky pregnancy, my health was really bad, stress, a number of things and my body was basically like, oh, I can't do this anymore. Um, and so much to our surprise, we um, ended up needing to resign from um, our jobs. And so we, we went from this context where our life was uh, rich and full of people. Um, as you can imagine, working in a church, you have meetings upon meetings, you have services, there's pastoral care, uh, our home, we had an open door policy, like our life was just very full of people and it was uh, wonderful. We, we had a beautiful community, we had a beautiful um, church, we, we loved where we were and we were just so rich for it. And then like I said, we unexpectedly, we kind of had thought we would probably serve in that church our whole lives and then very unexpectedly, in a very short amount of time, <laughs> we'd left and in stark contrast, our life was incredibly void 
of people. Uh, our uh, congregation dissolved and kind of scattered. Um, and initially, um, the, the, the absence of people was kind of a good thing. Um, we, I was very unwell, I had a baby, a toddler, and a bit of breathing space was, was so <laughs> crucial and necessary. And we were really grateful for it while we were kind of processing like what just happened in our lives, like a bomb had gone off that we did not see coming. Um, but as time went on um, and the lack of people kind of became the norm, a new uh, type of um, difficulty arose from that. And, and I would say perhaps for the first time, I would like to say in my life, perhaps my adult life, um, I experienced a profound... <laughs> and extended loneliness. And like I said, this caught me off guard. I, this, uh, to date, had not been my, my usual journey in life. It had not been my experience. Um, and uh, often I think, in the past, when I've thought about loneliness, I've thought of it as this kind of like, this lovely, like, gentle sadness, where you're a bit like, mm, be nice to have it few friends, but this wasn't that, it was like this agonising, all-encompassing, social anxiety, profound insecurity, I had no idea where these feelings had come from, and like identity crisis inducing, because I didn't know who this person was that was me, I didn't recognise her, I hadn't been her before, (laughs) Um, and so I want to... Um, explore this idea this morning uh, of loneliness. I think it's uh, particularly uh, valid in a COVID context, uh, considering globally, nationally, um, just like the obvious like lockdowns and the physical restrictions and the physical isolations and the implications that that can have on people's life experiencing um, aspects of loneliness. Uh, But also, uh, I think a lot of us are navigating relational changes where we find ourselves perhaps with different perspectives to loved ones or perhaps holding different uh, positions and experiencing the the difficulty in in managing um, relationships that are very dear to us and the shift um, perhaps that some people are able to experience in closeness and the, the loss, the sense of loss uh, and grief and perhaps sense of loneliness that some people are experiencing in that context. Uh, so I was reading some stats around loneliness and they, they blew my mind uh, because these stats were taken uh, pre-pandemic and so I can imagine perhaps it may have escalated a little since then. Uh, but in this one report I read, it stated that one in three people... Uh, say that they are lonely. One in three. Uh, in 2018, loneliness was uh, becoming such a, a profound problem in England. Uh, the flow on and, the, and all the kind of flow on effects of what uh, how loneliness was wreaking uh, havoc and costing the nation and the communities within it. That they, in England, uh, the government created a new ministerial role called the Minister of Loneliness. Uh, and Japan has since followed suit as well. 
because the, because it is loneliness is wreaking such havoc on the, um, these nations. Uh, physically um, and, and health-wise, uh, to do with mental health, uh, loneliness is uh, associated with increasing anxiety and depression. Uh, but even physically on our bodies, loneliness uh, is uh, seen to increase your chances of developing dementia. And this one blew my mind. It is ranked as being worse for your health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, I think sometimes when we imagine um, the issue of loneliness in society, it can be easy to kind of picture elderly who are isolated or perhaps neglected or uh, perhaps we imagine um, mothers who are experiencing, you know, at home with the children for the first time and those are valid, those are very real examples of um, what loneliness can look like in society. Uh, but who here knows that one can have a life full of friends and family and despite that, still feel a profound sense of loneliness, lack of connection or being known. Uh, more examples, it's quite typical for people to uh, experience uh, loneliness after the death of a spouse or perhaps um, after going through a divorce. But we also know that one can be in a marriage, in a good marriage, and still feel alone and disconnected. So as we discuss this idea of loneliness this morning, um, I want us to consider that loneliness isn't just a lack um, of contact with people, but it is uh, the sense of a lack, and I've got the slide here, of authentic relational connection. The sense of a lack of authentic relational connection. Uh, so what that might look like is, uh, just to even be more specific, the sense of a lack that I don't feel valued or seen or heard. That sense of a lack that I just I don't feel wanted or liked or loved or respected. That sense of a feeling that I just don't feel like I belong. Uh, when we... When we look at scripture, from start to finish, to me one of the most obvious themes is this idea of of God's people and and God's church being called and reminded um, that we are to live in connection to one another. There's this um, obvious theme and understanding as we look at the way God has created us that he, he created us to be dependent. We're, we're needy. Can everyone just put it in this? I'm very needy. <laughs> um, and it can kind of feel frustrating. I think there's a desire in all of us to want to be self-sufficient, to, you know, I, I don't need anyone. I'm all good. Don't worry. I've got this. But, but in reality, that's not the truth of who you are, and it's not the truth of who you're created to be or how you're created to live. We are created to need one another. We're created to uh, offer help and strength when our brother has need and in turn know how to receive help and support when we are in a place of weakness ourselves. Uh, so and I'm just going to pull out like a bunch of scriptures because the Bible is just full of this kind of stuff. And so we've got Hebrews 10, 24. 
And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4. Now, I love this passage. I think it's often just like, uh, like think, thought of as like the wedding <laughs> passage. I don't think it actually is that specific to weddings. I think it speaks to humanity yeah. and human nature. Uh, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. I'm going to keep going. First Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Acts 2 And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to breaking of bread and the prayers. And so like I said, the Bible is, is rich with this imploring of us to, to understand how crucial it is that we live in community. We live gener- generously toward one another. And, and, and that looks very um, ordinary. It looks uh, very everyday, sharing a meal, uh, asking how each other's doing, being open and honest and vulnerable with each other um, with, with how things are really going. So what I want us to do, <coughs> not COVID, I'm joking. <laughs> that water, is that all right? What I want us to do is I want to kind of take a little, thank you so much. I want to take loneliness and put it under a microscope. Now this might be a little like, might make some people a little nervous. So I want to make this as, comfortable and as safe as possible. But what uh, my suspicion is and what I would like for us to explore this morning is um, from my experience uh, in pastoring, from my experience in in having a very awful and intense uh, journey of loneliness myself, what I have come to believe is that, and I'm going to make this safe by saying sometimes, because uh, what I'm not talking about, I'm sorry, I'm doing a lot of like. <laughs> just <go for> it. <laughs> I'm just not wanting to um, say something and have someone in, uh, interpret it in a way that I'm not meaning. So I'm not. What well, the, the the loneliness that we're about to unpack? I'm not referring to the loneliness where people are like stuck in isolation and there's nothing they can do about it. I'm referring to the loneliness that is like perhaps um, exists. And it might be a dull ache in your life. Perhaps what it looks like is uh, you notice these patterns that happen over and over again in your friendships. And you're like, what is going on? Why does this keep happening? Perhaps uh, it's the level of disconnect within your marriage. It, it, can, it can exist in a number of ways. But, but I, what I want to imagine is that all of us have this sense of like some space in our life where there is this regular enoughness <laughs> of experiencing that ache. To, to want more. And I want to look at that. And what I want to suggest is this, is that loneliness sometimes has a narrative, a loop track educating us, informing us. And, and I think uh, these uh, narratives, these beliefs, 
uh, probably were so um, programmed into us from a very, very young age that they've become automatic. We don't even notice these responses, these beliefs, these perspectives happening within us. Uh, so I want to take a very quick look at exploring them. Um, and keeping in mind, uh, we are wired, we have this very valid need for authentic relational connection, right? And understanding that it, it actually takes a great deal of risk to make ourselves vulnerable, to live open to other people. They have the, the possibility of rejecting us or, or not wanting us in return. And so as a result, we learn to have these coping mechanisms, these guards uh, that we've learned to place up in order to survive the agony of the fear of rejection, the agony of uh, not fitting in. Uh, and so what we're going to do is I'm going to um, chuck up a continuum. Um, and, and this is a, a continuum of, of different ways we can respond in, in, in the face of rejection, in the face of isolation or loneliness, or, or in our anticipation of feeling this, this dreadful feeling. I want to um, make it known that I have lived everywhere you could possibly live on this continuum, and I want to say that I've probably lived at both extremes loudly at the same time. Uh, I have been very familiar with this, uh, so I want to explore it a little bit. None, and, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to give examples of what these different reactions could look like. And none of these are judgments. I don't want anyone to feel like, oh, I feel so exposed by this. What my hope is, is that in, in unpacking some of these and looking at them more closely, we can go, hey, I, yeah, I think I probably relate to that a little bit. That's actually really insightful. I can learn to respond differently now with this information. Um, <clears throat> Um, and uh, the other thing I want to say is that a lot of these, like I said, were uh, a lot of these re reactions or responses were likely developed in childhood. Now, in your childhood, learning to respond and react in these ways was a very, very positive and beneficial thing for you. This is how you learn to survive. This is how you learn to keep yourself safe. Uh, and okay by either like getting needs met that weren't being given to you or keeping out things that were a threat or harm to you. And now the nature of childhood coping mechanisms is this. What starts off as a very, very good and necessary thing for you to uh, take on in childhood, what happens is as we grow into adulthood, uh, they stop being the thing that keeps us safe and they start actually functioning as something uh, harmful or destructive in our own lives and in our relationships. Unfortunately, they stop <laughs> being a helpful thing in our life and become a dysfunctional thing in our life. And there's this beautiful invitation for us as adults to go, okay, this is an invitation for me to uh, let go of this thing that is no longer serving me and learn to respond with a, have a new relationship to loneliness, a new relationship to my fear of rejection. <clears throat> so, what have we got? Avoiding others. Um, so what this looks like is you, if, if you know your natural is to keep people at an arm's distance, 
uh, to live with a a 10-foot shield around your heart and around your sense of self and you don't let anyone in. Uh, Probably what you learn at a young age is that people aren't safe. And that is kind of true. (laughs) People aren't safe. And what I mean by that is you can have like very healthy, mature people in your life and, and without even having intention behind it, you, we can get hurt. You'll be hurt by probably anyone you ever have a relationship uh, anyone you have a relationship with. Um, being connected to each other comes <laughs> with a cost. And, and uh, sometimes if this is your reaction, you've, you've learned that, that people aren't safe. And so you've learned uh, that the best way to survive is to, like I said, keep people at arm's distance, live kind of uh, shielded. But the narrative that can go on is kind of that you're, um, you suspect that they're going to be unsafe before anything's happened. You suspect uh, they might reject you first. And so you already have a suspicion of them. It's like, oh, I'll, I'll keep you out before you can ever get me. I'm just going to make sure I never (laughs) let anyone penetrate this wall. Uh, And so what happens is uh, that might look like, well, I shouldn't even care what they think. That might look like uh, just deciding they're like a bad person. It can look like getting other people on your team to make sure everyone else knows that they're a bad person. We can um, um, make it sound really good about being like, yeah, I've just got a good gut for knowing when people are... But I usually can tell. Sometimes it's, it's not your good gut sense. It's, it's your, ter- your terrified of people. Um, and so what happens is we, we unconsciously perpetuate the cycle by keeping people out. However, you're created for connection. And so while keeping yourself very safe, you're keeping yourself very alone and isolated as well. Uh, on this end of things, uh, hypothetically, perhaps you weren't uh, affirmed and, and, and filled up the way that you needed to be as a child, and so now unconsciously there is this gnawing need to, to hear from an external source that you are okay. And that can look like lots of things. It can look like chronic people-pleasing. Um, it can look like uh, you're, within your marriage that like nothing your spouse does is ever like enough to make you feel loved. You're constantly needing um, to be filled up, to feel loved or included at this unrealistic level of expectation. You need them to give you what no person can give you and that can result in a number of things that can result in like oh what's wrong with me why don't people um like why did why is it, why do they all have friends and I don't have friends I just need if I could just be better blah 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 or chronic people pleasing where you're just like yeah like constantly morphing into whoever you think everybody wants you to be because if they if you can get people to affirm you then you can be okay within yourself I'll give one more example for the sake of time um it can also uh, look like um, just you've learned that in order to survive, you just you hunker down um, and um, like a self protect. But there's a strong desire in you for someone to come and rescue you, and so you you keep yourself locked away in a tower. But you're like, why doesn't anybody make any effort to contact me? Why doesn't anyone like? trying to like be my friend and there's all of the onus is like why is the external not coming and and meeting my internal and where this becomes uh, uh, like an issue is that when we are believing and participating in these narratives and in these cycles 
Uh, it can be so hard to step out of them and think, oh, actually, what do I have responsibility for for me? How am I initiating relationship? How am I initiating <laughs> hangouts? How, what am I taking responsible for? What am I contributing? So, um, am I saying that it's wrong to want to be liked? Or that it's wrong to like need to set boundaries with people. Absolutely not. Like I said, you're absolutely wired to need to want to be liked. You'll never be able to switch that off <laughs> your whole life. That is healthy. And we should see that as like we should learn to recognize that need to want to be liked, that need to want to feel connected is a good thing. It's a signal. It's like hunger. I feel hungry. Oh, I should go eat. Oh, I feel lonely. Instead of, oh, it's like, oh, I'm wired for connection. <laughs> Have I been investing in this area in my life? The need for boundaries. I think the healthier, uh, the more mature you are, the more you're going to set boundaries uh, in your relationships because you understand that healthy boundaries protect great connection. So, so, so the point, so if it's not about those things, then what is the point that I am trying to make? If you will notice uh, with me, all of these narratives have a pattern. And I've said it before, but the pattern is how I imagine you feel about me is now how I feel about me. How I imagine you feel about me is now how I feel about me. This, I'm so scared that you won't like me, that I will avoid you or villainize you in order to protect myself. Or I so want you to like me that I will figure out how to get you to like me so that I can feel okay about myself and everything that goes in between that. And so when these narratives don't go recognized and the loop continues, uh, what, will, what you will continue to outlive, the pattern that you will continue to outlive in your life, is that your sense of self-worth and value will always be living in the hands of something external to you and it will rise and fall and come and go as the tide. And from experience, I can say, it's exhausting. Uh, so, to share a little more about my story, um, like I said, it was almost like a perfect storm for these, for these areas and insecurities that I had no idea were inside of me to kind of surface. Life, I, I had this external... <laughs> Context: this, I lived in a, in a world where, um, full of people, I, I was the one giving advice, people were constantly asking me for my time, and I loved it, and I thrived in it. And then uh, if you don't ask me, do you know who you are outside of this? Of course I do, absolutely. Then, much to my surprise, boom, when our whole world collapsed around us, and I had none of these externals, uh, reaffirming who I was. We also, at the time, um, entered into new social contexts, um, schools, new kindies, and people weren't responding to me in the way that they had in that context. Uh, there were a few other things in the mix, but it, like I said, it became this perfect storm for me to be like, oh, who am I? Like, what is going on? And like I said, these like mad insecurities to pop up that I was just like... I don't, I've never felt this before, uh, and I had no idea how to navigate them. They were, they were overwhelming feelings that I was experiencing daily. 
So uh, in our family, we have uh, a high value for getting uh, professional help when we can. And so I was seeing a therapist and I felt like a stuck record every week. I was like, I'm still having this same thing. I felt like week after week, what's going on? I'm just feeling thrashed by these feelings. Uh, I would <laughs> go to like the new kindy and I'd just be like, <gasps> it honestly felt like, like a nightmare every time I'd be like, this is, this is the most unfriendly place I've ever been to in my life. None of these mums will even make eye. You know, you're trying to be like, oh, hey, as you pass, you know, dropping the kids off. It's like they won't make eye contact. I'm like, oh, they all just seem to like only know each other. And like, oh, I feel so uncomfortable. I feel so uh, down about myself. Why aren't people like noticing that I would be a cool friend to be with? You know, all the thoughts, all the pain, all the intensity. Right. So then, uh, the part of my life where things actually started to change was in my agony. I would just, I would cry out to God. Last resort, no. <laughs> Uh, I, I would just, I would cry out to God, and be like, what is going on? I don't recognize my life. I don't recognize this person. I don't recognize these feelings, God. What is, help? Um, and of course, um, I was just met with in loud silence. <laughs> you know, like sometimes you pray and you just don't get an answer or you just don't really sense anything. You're like, okay, whatever. This wasn't like that. This was just like, belly like the doors were closed and a sign was put up like, I'm going fishing. And I was like, hello. Like, I'm, I really need you here and I feel like you're extra, like, not there. And I felt really, like, annoyed and frustrated. Like, ah, this is not how it's supposed to go. In the midst of that, um, I would hear this still, small voice calling me to meet with and relate to God in a new way. And that is not what I wanted to hear at the time. I wanted the familiar. I wanted the way that I'd always connected with God and always known to. Um, And I felt this call to connect with the God who lived and dwelled in me. Um, I found that kind of uncomfortable. I've always um, related to that idea of God. (laughs) If you can kind of catch my gist. Um, I didn't feel like connecting to a God that lived inside of me. Um, But again, just that gentle prodding, that gentle nudging of just like uh, reminding me like I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells inside of me. And I was like, okay, God inside of me. And um, as that, you know, and, and the nudging and the, the gentle conversation would increase and um, God would start to say, like, I, I live and I dwell in you. And also, I created you in my image and I want you to learn to relate to you in a new way and that was very uncomfortable all over again I felt like a starting a a realisation awakening in me that I had beliefs inside of me that I probably um, gathered from very well meaning people uh, in my childhood which and I'm sure some of you will have um, had perhaps something similar you're like you are scum you are a sinful scum and God is the only thing that is holy there is nothing good about you (laughs) Turn to God, that is your only hope and your only salvation. And so I, the pattern that I learned was to dissociate from 
myself and only speak to God. And what he was inviting me to was a new relationship, a new way of relating to God, and a new way of relating to myself. And he's like, you're made in my image. I made something good. I want you to know who you are so that you are a reflection of God on earth. Am I saying I'm God? No. Of course not. Just covering my tracks. There was this invitation to uh, start a relationship to myself. Uh, It it felt very clunky at first. It felt very unfamiliar. And in turn of developing a new relationship to myself, I then could develop a new way of relating to my loneliness. Uh, so I'll give you a few little practicalities. I'll try and wind it up. I, I would, what it looked like at first was I would, um, usually at night I'd be in bed and I would put my hand on my heart and I would uh, become aware of God who lived in me. And then I would become aware of the me made in his image who had been so poorly treated and I would just connect to her and learn to live in union with her and connection to her. That relationship would begin to develop. I would apologise to me (laughs) for allowing all of these externals to tell her what her worth was and who she was. And I began began to learn to with my understanding of my connection of God with me, (laughs) learn to affirm her, learn to enjoy her company, and learn to become established in a truer reality. The truth of God in me, and and learning and awakening into becoming the, the truest me he created me to be. And as I learnt... As this, as this truth started to shift my internal reality, in turn it started to shift my experience with my external reality. When I would have those pangs of loneliness, I would go, oh, I'm feeling lonely and I, 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 can, I can be my own company. I can connect to myself. And I would do the thing, I would connect to God and I would connect to myself and I would, would feel these feelings of like, oh, you're home. I feel connected, I feel grounded. When I would be out and about uh, socialising and I would notice that pull to uh, long for some sort of external validation, I would go, hold on. <laughs> I wouldn't like stop in the middle of conversation and be like, excuse me for a minute. <laughs> 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 but I, I, I'd pra- it was a practice. I had to practice it to get good at it. I would practice um, affirming myself, affirming myself with the truths of who God who created me to be. Learning to stop hating myself. I didn't know I hated myself, but there you go. Learning to like love and value and appreciate myself. Funny things would happen. I would go to the mean kindy. And my people just seemed to be nicer. Was it because my demeanor changed? Perhaps. I did make a decision and my new like security, I was so unrattled what anyone thought of me, I was just like, 
well, I'll just make this a friendly kindy. I'll just change the culture by being a person who's like, hey, yeah, hey, I'm not bothered if you're like a bit rude back, we can change that, you know? And so as I learned a new way of relating to God, a new way of relating to myself, and a new way of relating to my loneliness, uh, it has, it has changed my experience and my reality. I, I, like I, I feel like I have this fuller understanding of life. Um, you can love others as you love yourself. I actually, when I hate myself, when I despise myself, when I think, oh, everyone thinks I'm not good enough, it limits my ability to pour out love and security and connection because yeah. I have to keep myself safe because otherwise it costs too much. Um, I'll, I'll, for the sake of time, I, I, won't, I won't go on, but I do just want to say this has been um, my journey and I'm not going to prescribe it as like, here's the very exact thing you need to do in your life. I, I just want to uh, trust that if there's anything you would like to glean from it that will be helpful, um, awesome. If you still want to connect with God out there, you go for it. This, what I learned isn't like the way or the right thing to do. This has been my personal journey. Anyway, I would love to pray for us and then we'll end the service. God, we thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We thank you that the truest thing about us is that you have created us in your image. We're created to reflect your nature and your character. And we ask for greater understanding of this, greater revelation of this to awaken within us. Uh, God, we, we invite you to minister to the parts of us that have experienced very real pain or very real uh, lack. And we invite you to um, help us to begin to notice uh, any narratives or loop tracks that we uh, have playing in our minds that are perhaps destructive or need readdressing. Uh, we ask right now uh, that you would perhaps bring to mind any people who at any point in our lives we have wrongly given over our power to, our sense of value or worth. We've handed it over to a person who was never able to fulfill our, our needs. And we ask that you would uh, take us on our own journey where you would help us to re-establish um, you uh, in that rightful place in our lives. We pray that um, as your church that we would um, awaken to understand our responsibility to live in connection and communion with one another. That we would be a church that uh, supports those who are in need. And we would be a church who knows how to receive support when we are in need. In Jesus' name, amen.